The Kakadu Plum is an Australian native superfood containing 100 times more vitamin C than oranges. So why have you never heard of it? PR. No one's drinking a Kakadu smoothie? I'm JB Smooth, and that was a full episode of my new podcast, Straightforward. Inspired by guaranteed straightforward pricing from AT&T Fiber. Get what you want without the complicated. AT&T Fiber, live like a gagillionaire. Available wherever you get your podcast. Limited availability in select areas. Visit at and slash hypergig for details. When you buy Kroger brand products, you feel like you're winning. That's because they offer proven quality at lower than low prices. In fact, we guarantee that you and your family will love how Kroger brand products taste. Or you get your money back. So next time you're shopping for the family, look for delicious Kroger brand products. Because they'll make you all feel like you're winning. Shop now, in-store, or online. Kroger. Fresh for everyone. Hey, girlfriends. It's me, Carol Fisher, back with another season of the global number one podcast, The Girlfriends. Last time, we investigated the murder of Gail Katz. This time, we're uncovering the identity of the woman who was buried in Gail's grave for a decade before she disappeared. Join me and the rest of the club as we tell her story. Listen to season two of The Girlfriends, Our Lost Sister on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. As the number one audio company, iHeartMedia gives you access to all. Every audience, live conversations, trusted influencers, and the insights and data you need to grow. iHeartMedia is your access company. Go to iHeartResults.com for more. This Day in History class is a production of iHeartRadio. Hello, and welcome to This Day in History class, a show that believes there's no time like the present to learn about the past. I'm Gabe Lusier, and in this episode, we're talking about the founding of an influential school, one that marked the start of a new era for African-American education, both in Alabama and across the nation. The day was July 4th, 1881. The Tuskegee State Normal School, now Tuskegee University, opened its doors to students for the first time. The school had been established under a charter from the Alabama legislature and was intended to serve as a training ground for future Alabama teachers. To fulfill that purpose, Tuskegee's program provided students with a mix of both academic and vocational training. The patriotic date of the school's official opening was chosen to celebrate the independence of the nation and the recent emancipation of the African-American people. According to the school's principal and lead teacher, Booker T. Washington, 30 students turned up for admission on the first day of classes, and by the end of the month, they had been joined by 20 more. Although Tuskegee Institute was founded in the summer of 1881, Planning for the school began several years earlier. In 1879, a formerly enslaved tinsmith and community leader named Lewis Adams was approached by a political hopeful named W.F. Foster. Foster was a white Southern Democrat running to keep his seat in the Alabama Senate, and he hoped that Adams would use his influence to help him secure the black vote in Macon County. Lewis Adams agreed to help, 
but in exchange, he wanted Foster to pass a bill allocating money for the construction of an educational institute for African Americans. Foster went on to win his race, and with the aid of his colleague in the House of Representatives, Arthur L. Brooks, he was able to uphold his end of the bargain. Together, Foster and Brooks drafted House Bill 165. That legislation authorized the creation of an all-black school in Alabama and allocated $2,000 to pay the salaries of teachers and to provide free tuition to any student who agreed to teach in an Alabama public school upon graduation. The bill also created a board of commissioners to help organize and manage the school. Among the original members were Lewis Adams and George W. Campbell, both of whom are generally considered the school's co-founders, along with Booker T. Washington. Speaking of Washington, let's trace the path that ultimately led to him becoming the first principal of Tuskegee's new school. Booker Taliaferro, or Tolliver, Washington, was born into slavery in Halesford, Virginia, on April 5, 1856. When he was nine years old, Washington and his family gained their freedom under the Emancipation Proclamation. Shortly after, they moved to the free state of West Virginia, where the young boy taught himself to read and began attending school for the first time. In his teenage years, Washington performed backbreaking labor in the salt furnaces and coal mines of West Virginia, eventually saving up enough money to afford tuition at Hampton Institute in Virginia. He enrolled there in the fall of 1872, and later proved to be such an exemplary student that he was asked to return as a teacher in 1879. Two years later, the founder and president of Hampton Institute, General Samuel C. Armstrong, received a letter from George Campbell and Lewis Adams. They were looking for a, quote, well-qualified white man to serve as principal of their new school in Tuskegee, and they wanted to know if Armstrong had any recommendations. The general responded by recommending the 25-year-old Booker T. Washington for the job. He's the best man we ever had here, Armstrong wrote. I know of no white man who could do better. Washington got the job and arrived in Tuskegee during the summer of 1881. He quickly realized he had his work cut out for him. The Alabama House Bill had allocated funds for salaries and tuition, but it didn't provide any land or buildings for the school. As a result, the initial classes were held inside a ramshackle one-room building that had been lent to the school by a local church. In his book, Up From Slavery, Washington reflected on this early challenge, saying, quote, I recall that during the first months of school that I taught in this building, it was in such poor repair that whenever it rained, one of the older students would very kindly leave his lessons and hold an umbrella over me while I heard the recitations of the others. This arrangement was untenable for obvious reasons, so three months later, Washington purchased a 100-acre abandoned cotton plantation that had been partially burned during the Civil War. It was known, fittingly enough, as the Old Burnt Place. The cost of the farm was $500 with a $250 down payment. An old friend from the Hampton Institute, James Marshall, loaned the money to Washington from his personal bank account. The only farm buildings that had survived the fire were a cabin, a kitchen, a stable, and a hen house. It was a modest improvement over the school's original makeshift classroom, 
but the real value of the property was the opportunity for expansion it provided. Washington and his students worked themselves ragged, transforming their new campus not only into a functioning school, but a functioning farm as well. They cleared dozens of acres of land, planted crops, and even constructed a kiln so they could make bricks to build their own buildings. Meanwhile, Olivia A. Davidson, the school's only other teacher and Washington's future wife, began hosting fundraising festivals and dinners as a way to help pay back the school's loan. After just three months of her campaign, enough money had been earned to repay the loan to James Marshall, and two months after that, the school was able to pay off the remaining cost of the land, meaning that it now owned its 100-acre campus full and outright. These early fundraising successes were key to the school's survival, and would later be turned to time and time again as part of Washington's never-ending effort to keep the school debt-free and prosperous. Those efforts were not in vain either, as Tuskegee quickly rose to national prominence under the direction of its founder. He remained the head of the institution until his death in 1915, at which point he was buried on the campus near the university chapel. At the time of Washington's death, Tuskegee Institute had 1,500 students, roughly 200 faculty members, and 100 fully furnished buildings. He had taken the school a long way in his lifetime, and that legacy of progress continues to this day. Now known as Tuskegee University, the school is home to about 3,000 students and is one of the top-ranked historically black colleges in the country. That's one of the many reasons why the school was, and still is, the pride of the swift-growing South. I'm Gabe Luzier, and hopefully you now know a little more about history today than you did yesterday. You can learn even more about history by following us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at TDIHCshow. And if you have any comments or suggestions, you can always send them my way at thisday at iheartmedia.com. Thanks to Chandler Mays for producing the show, and thank you for listening. I'll see you back here again tomorrow for another day in history class. Hey, girlfriends, it's me, Carol Fisher, back with another season of the global number one podcast, The Girlfriends. Last time, we investigated the murder of Gail Katz. This time, we're uncovering the identity of the woman who was buried in Gail's grave for a decade before she disappeared. Join me and the rest of the club as we tell her story. Listen to season two of The Girlfriends, Our Lost Sister on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Something that makes me crazy is when people say, well, I had this career before, but it was a waste. And that's where the perspective shift comes, that it's not a waste that everything you've done has built you to where you are now. This is She Pivots, the podcast where we explore the inspiring pivots women have made and dig deeper into the personal reasons behind them. Join me, Emily Tish sussman every Wednesday on She Pivots. Listen to She Pivots on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Saleha Mosin, and I've covered economic policy for years and reported on how it impacts people across the United States. In 2016, I saw how voters were leaning towards Trump and how so many Americans felt misunderstood by Washington. So I started The Big Take D.C., 
we dig into how money, politics, and power shape government and the consequences for voters. With new episodes every Thursday, you can listen to The Big Take DC on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. The Therapy for Black Girls podcast is your space to explore mental health, personal development, and all the small decisions we can make to become the best possible versions of ourselves. I'm your host, Dr. Joy Harden-Bradford, a licensed psychologist in Atlanta, Georgia, and I can't wait for you to join the conversation every Wednesday. Listen to the Therapy for Black Girls podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Take good care, and we'll see you there.